Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. And so tonight, we're going to conclude our study of the most well-known of all of Jesus' teachings, the Beatitudes. And I think if we're honest, this has been a challenging series in many ways. Um, And my prayer has been that God would just allow new light to shine on this very important passage of Scripture, especially for those of us who are maybe very familiar with it. I, I pray personally, and it is my prayer for this church, that we never find ourselves in a mindset or a position to think that we can check the box off of something in the Scripture as if we've got it all figured out and we don't need that anymore and we can move on. We've graduated because that's not what the Word of God tells us should be our mindset and our approach to his word. And I've personally really enjoyed looking at some very old resources and using them for this series to uh, consider the works of Oswald Chambers and Charles Spurgeon. They're not new. They're very, very old. There's nothing flashy or particularly catchy about their approach, but it has provided just rock-solid biblical truth making Jesus' teachings, I think, more applicable to us, more understandable for us. And one of the ways that their teachings both have done that for us is this illustration that we have used of the ladder this one last time. I asked for us to give us this ladder because I think this illustration has really helped us understand what Jesus is teaching and the way he is teaching it in a very clear way. Way I was thinking about ladders and just the, you know, interesting relationship that some of us have with them. Has anybody fallen off a ladder before? I know, I don't know if my mom's here. The queen mom has fallen off a couple of times, and they're part of the legend of our family. But, you know, ladders are, are curious, curious things. Do I have any painters in the house tonight? You paint. You paint walls. You volunteer. You you have some experience. Well, this I can say with confidence that the greatest among us as far as painting goes is Brother Roland Arrowood. It is a beautiful thing to behold. He is fast. He is neat. He comes in like a ninja, does the job, and leaves as if nothing ever happened. And that is so amazing to me because it has fallen my lot through... um, being in ministry for a long time and being a homeowner, I have done a lot of painting and I'm pretty good at it, but I am a messy painter. Is anybody messy out there? The good news with me is that there's not a lot of touch-ups needed, but it also means that I've gotten as much paint on me as I have on the walls or whatever my particular uh, project is. In fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, I, I had a new low. I was painting baseboards in a bathroom, and somehow I got up and I had a white streak all the way back, which Father Tom is always quick with the phone to, to capture that. And I thought about showing it to you to beat him to the punch, but I'm sure he's saving it for something, so you can, you can see that later. But I, I was thinking about that, like when you have to use a ladder in your painting, it makes all of it a lot more tedious, makes it more dangerous, I would say. People like me who um, are messy, I have to 
you know, get up the ladder with my stuff and then if I spill the paint or I get the paint somewhere, I hit the ceiling, I'm notorious for that, then I have to come back down and get what I need and come back up. And it's just, I mean, it's a workout. You want a workout? Just go up and down a ladder with some stuff in tow. And, and it's a deal. And, and it made me laugh to think about what we've been talking about as it relates to the Beatitudes. Because I think one thing that's been very clear to us, the way that Jesus taught it, is that if we are struggling in one of these ways, the way Jesus taught us to approach is that if I am struggling in a situation that I need to be merciful in, the way Jesus taught this to us should prompt us to say, if mercy is a problem for me, then maybe some of the things Jesus taught before he addressed, blessed are the merciful, apply to me again. And so I'm like that painter who goes up and down, up and down, trying to do the same job because I'm making a mess in the process. And if we're honest, that's what it feels like sometimes when we're trying to live up to what Jesus is saying. That I have to go back down. Maybe I'm not merciful because I have forgotten what it's like to be repentant of my sins. Maybe I'm not hungry and thirsty for the things of God like I should be. Maybe I'm not humble for whatever reason in the situation. And because I understand that I have to be meek in order to be merciful, I've got to go back to that teaching of Jesus to say, God, I have so much pride in this situation and you alone know why. Help me fix it so that I can climb back up and get to mercy where I need to be. And so these Beatitudes are a call to be like Jesus, and we have them listed there for you, and we're going to hit this last one. It's a big one tonight, but I want to um, read a quote that I gave you last week because I think it's a good setup for this last one that we're going to look at together tonight, again by Oswald Chambers, that the Beatitudes seem merely mild and beautiful precepts, but we soon find, however, that they contain the dynamite of the Holy Ghost and they explode like a spiritual mind when the circumstances of our life require them to do so. And I think if we're honest, we've all had that experience where we've read Matthew 5, maybe we've heard it taught or preached, and we feel good about it in the moment, like, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. That is beautiful, Jesus. Sign me up. And then we get in a situation where meekness is the order of the day, and all of a sudden, yuck, I don't want to do this. This doesn't feel good. This is not natural. This is not what I want to be in this moment. And so let's look again for the last time at Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to read from the New English translation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. 
for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. Now quickly, I just want to acknowledge the fact that some people believe that those last two verses that we read are actually two separate Beatitudes. For our purposes tonight, they are one and the same. Do we agree? Yes, we do. We're moving on now. All right. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, I'm going to read to you in the message version, okay, which is always very interesting, but you'll see why here in a little bit. I want us to make this a little more tangible and relatable for us tonight. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do and all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company, my prophets And witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Very interesting. And if you know the history of why the message was written, it really does help you appreciate uh, its unique approach. But the Bible is full of persecution. The Bible is full of persecution. And the word that Jesus used for persecution here means to be mistreated, to make run, or to flee. This same word is used 44 times in the New Testament. And it is also translated as follow in some of the same verses. The meaning is essentially the same. It means to be pursued. And so persecution is the context, if we think about it, if we allow ourselves to, for many of our favorite Bible stories that we like to hear. Think of Daniel. Think of Esther, those powerful stories that excite us and motivate us and hold the bar high, if you will, for what it means to trust God and stand for what's right. The context of those incredible stories and the people involved is, in fact, persecution. The greatest praise break the world has ever seen took place in the context of persecution. Act 16, the original jailhouse rock, if you will. Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Yes! So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. We love it. But those verses can fire us up about the power of praise and worship. But tonight, I want us to consider the context of that supernatural event. Let's look quickly at the verses previous in Acts 16. It happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, and I love this. But Paul greatly annoyed... He was just a man, he really was. Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, 
They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods and when they had laid many stripes on them. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But then verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And so it's very important for us to understand as New Testament believers, as the people Jesus is still talking to in Matthew chapter 5, what was Paul and Silas's crime? They were doing what Jesus had told his followers to do. John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these. And so this passage makes clear to us that what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, that we see the commitment of Paul and Silas to continue the work of Jesus Christ on the earth, to use the power that God had entrusted them with. Jesus quoted Isaiah to say, I've come to set the captive free. And that's what happened to that precious slave girl that was being used by this demonic uh, possession, this gift, if you will, that had been given to her. Paul and Silas got in trouble because no one could make money off of her anymore. That's how they ended up in prison. And so here I want us to understand three vital points of what it means to be persecuted for Jesus's sake. Because that's what he says in Matthew 5. That number one, those who are blessed in persecution are those who suffer for his sake, not their own. That's an important distinction for us to understand. That it is a commitment to the things that Jesus loves that will see us mistreated and that will see us misunderstood. Number two, that those who are partakers of his sufferings also share in his kingdom. Again, like we've seen throughout the Beatitudes, this promise is not just futuristic to say, these things will be yours in heaven someday. No, there is also a present fulfillment to the promise that Jesus is making with each of these assignments. Here we see in Acts 16, the fulfillment of that. That jailer was set free spiritually. There were other prisoners that were released and set free because of the praise that resulted from the persecution that Paul and Silas were enduring at that time. Those who are persecuted are blessed to join the ranks of the prophets, according to Jesus. That part of the blessing that identifies the persecuted is to be identified with others who have experienced the same. Let me show you this in scripture quickly. Hebrews 11. What more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson, all these people who through faith subdued kingdoms, 
They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the fire, the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the enemies of the aliens. I'm going to skip down. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. These are the people of God here, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. I can think of no one who better exemplifies what Hebrews is talking about than Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist. He wore animal skins. He was a weird dude. He was bold. He was powerful. He did everything that was prophesied he would do. He prepared the world for the ministry of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And yet we understand John experienced persecution to the fullest extent. Jesus said there was none greater than he And so I want to uh, challenge us with this idea as we're coming to our conclusion, to our app time. Two things that persecution is not. I think for the most part, we have our heads wrapped around the fact that as Christians, we will not be maybe the most popular in certain scenarios. We won't always agree with what is happening. We're not able to just go along with all that the world is throwing at us. But let us consider quickly in the context of 2020 what persecution is not. It's not based on a commitment to an opinion or to our own ideals. What Jesus is describing here is not about politics. I'm going to help you in a way that Jeff Arnold helped me many years ago, and he made me very angry when he did it. He said, God is not an American. I was deeply offended by that at first. But our love for the Constitution... Our devotion to our country, as blessed as we are to be Americans, should not motivate us beyond our commitment to be like Jesus Christ. And I think we've gotten confused in the last couple of years, some of us have. And I pray, and I am personally challenged by the Lord on a regular basis, that I be more passionate about what Jesus is passionate about than I am about the things that I disagree with that are going on in the world, the issues that plague this mess of a planet that we're stuck on for right now. And so whatever your opinion is on the issues of the day, we have to remember that we are supposed to be Christians first. That the call of God on our lives should be weightier in our minds and in our motives than any natural preference we might have. That God's agenda in the earth is much bigger than the politics of the day and even its direct effect on the people of God. God has always operated that way. And it's why the Jews missed him the first time that he came. They wanted him to be the savior of their nation, to crush the bad guys, to crush Rome's empire down to powder because they were unrighteous. 
God, make it right when you come. Put us back in a position of power because we're your people. We're the good guys. So let the Messiah settle the score forever. And man, they quickly realized that was not Jesus's agenda. And that's why many of them did not accept him as the Messiah. And so I think it's very important, and I've said it before, and I will say it again till Jesus comes, because I believe the church needs reminded that I do not think, according to what we see in scriptures, that the environment of the world before Jesus comes the second time is going to be any different. That Jesus is not returning, or he is not going to intervene for the sake of our comfort. He is establishing and continuing to build his kingdom in the earth. And so whoever is in charge, whether we like them or not, whether we voted for them or not, is in their position by the hands of Almighty God. And all of these people, from the White House to the UN and everything in between, the power that is given to them is because they are pawns in the hands of an Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. He knows what it takes to get what he said would happen in the earth done, both the good and the bad, and he will use all of these people, just as he has throughout human history, to do exactly what his will is in the earth. And that is important perspective for you and I to have. As believers living in the last days, I believe. And so lastly, persecution is not self-inflicted. Persecution, according to Jesus, comes from our devotion to him. And so we don't have to seek it out. We don't have to position ourselves in some kind of obnoxious way to make sure we are persecuted and identified with him. The way that Jesus taught this says that if I'm poor in spirit and I'm hungry and I'm merciful and I'm meek and I'm all those things... That a natural result of being all those things in this world that is the opposite of everything that Jesus is valuing and telling us to be here. I will be persecuted as a result. I don't even have to make it happen. It's just going to happen that way. That's what Jesus is letting us know. We cannot limit the idea of persecution to only physical opposition or torture, though. I think it's very important for us to understand here that becoming more like Jesus may not lead to persecution of the body. We may not be required to give our life in a literal sense as others have, but we will certainly be misunderstood. We'll certainly stand out. We could be mocked. We could be ostracized in certain environments. We may even be excluded. We will experience hardship in some form or another. Because if we're this close to Jesus, be certain that you and I will know when we're being persecuted. Because again, it's not about us forcing this to happen so that all eyes on us, I'm persecuted for Jesus' sake. No. Jesus is saying, if you're just trying to reach for me, if you're just trying to please me and obey what I'm teaching here, all of that's going to happen to you. But because we're closest to him, when we experience persecution, 
I think Jesus is letting us know we're going to be okay. We're going to recognize it for what it is, and he is going to show us how to respond to it. And so as I conclude this lesson in preparation for app time, I want to remind you of another passage in Scripture where we see God's people persecuted. And you've probably thought of this in the book of Daniel. And I think it's a tragedy that we know the three Hebrew boys by their Babylonian names. If I gave them to you, it would probably take you a second to realize, oh, she's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because that's how we know them. But essentially, they and Daniel and many others were prisoners of war. They were brought as captives into Babylon, and their number one agenda for them was to strip them of everything that identified them with Jehovah, even down to their names and their diets and their daily routines. And so I think I don't even really have to bear out the similarities between the approach of Nebuchadnezzar and his men and the approach of the culture that we're living in. That everything that is related to the Bible or to maybe even just a Christian, um, maybe an orthodox, if you will, uh, way of life or way of looking at the world is completely under attack. Why? Because the enemy wants to see us stripped of everything that identifies us as being a child of God and our lives belonging to him. And so in these young men's example, I think we see a profound illustration of what we need to do in response to these type of attacks. That number one, we have to be aware of what is happening. We need to pay attention. We need to be paying attention to what we're watching, what our kids are listening to, maybe even what we're reading, where we're getting information from. We need to be alert because we understand that we are being persecuted as the church. The enemy has an agenda to discredit and to take away any power and authority that the church has. And I think this is one of the benefits of COVID, as horrible as it has been, is that God has used it to reveal this attack to us in an unprecedented way. That it has exposed evil and corruption in high places and in places we did not expect. In these last two years, God has also revealed the strengths and the weaknesses of his church. Why? Because we are running out of time according to his clock. And we've got to figure this out quickly. And we've got to get in the book to make sure that we respond to what is happening in the world correctly. And in these three Hebrew young men, we see that they did not conform. They were not combative in their response to what was asked to them. They were wise in their dealings. You read in Daniel 3, and you see this very clearly, that we read of their peaceful yet decisive resistance to things that violated the covenant that they had made with their God. And it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 10. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Again, I love that verse. I've heard it a lot growing up in the church. But the context for Jesus' comments there is this idea of experiencing persecution. 
And so we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, conduct themselves in this way because there was a demand upon them to conform to the environment that they found themselves in. And isn't that the spirit of the age? And what God has used COVID to expose in an unprecedented way is this demand to conform. There is an intolerance. There is a divisiveness at work in the earth like we have never seen before. And so we can look to people like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We can look to people like Esther and realize the people of God have always found themselves in scenarios like this. And God has always proven himself to them. Remember what they were... uh, What they were threatened with was this fiery furnace that they had to bow down. They had to worship this idol. And their response is so powerful in Daniel 3.16. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We will not. They had already made a decision. They had been making decisions leading up to that crucial moment that was going to cost them their lives. Our God can save us. They were confident. But they also let Nebuchadnezzar know, but if he doesn't, our devotion is not limited to him by the outcome of this situation. What a powerful example they have set for us. And so here's the truth for us tonight that I believe is more important than any apprehension, every, any fear that you feel about this subject of persecution. That in times of persecution, God does some of his greatest work. We don't talk about this very much in the church, not even from the pulpit, but we should so that we can prepare for it when it happens. The Bible does not hide the fact that God's people have always suffered persecution. Rather, the church has never been stopped by it. If anything, persecution is a flame that lights revival like nothing else. We see this in the book of Acts. I don't know if you remember in December, Brother Raymond Woodward was with us. We were so privileged to have him. And he preached on Sunday morning, Apostolic 2.0. And one of the points that he made was that God used difficulty in the early church to get his people to fulfill the Great Commission because they were not doing it. Oh God, is he doing that right now? Is that what some of this pandemic stuff has been about? Getting the church on mission? Getting us to do what we're called to do to get the world ready for him to return? And so God scattered His people, we see it right after Stephen's death in Acts 11. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled and dropping down to verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. God knows how to get it done. Maybe in ways we do not like or we do not understand. But in the midst of persecution, God is able to do the miraculous for his people and through his people. And that's really good news for us. And so tonight for app time, I would like for you to describe a time where you 
or someone you know has experienced persecution. Now, to be clear, it is not limited to a physical persecution. But maybe they were um, excluded from an opportunity at work. Maybe they were ostracized in some environment. Some of you have experienced that in the last two years. And so I want us to make sure everybody has someone to talk to. And let's discuss this together now. I think one of the biggest takeaways from uh, Daniel 3 is that if we respond to persecution the right way, Jesus will be standing in the fire of it with us. And that's a great reassurance that we have. You know, Jesus may come tomorrow and it'll all be over and, and I'd be glad about that. I'm sure you would be too. But I think one of the Uh, sobering realities of all that we've been experiencing is just to see how the world is changing and this idea of of being persecuted for Jesus's sake is a little more real than maybe it was to us a few years ago but I want to make this teaching very simple and even attainable to us tonight that the point of all of this is not to scare us or to intimidate us, or even worry us. But this idea that if we are completely devoted to Jesus and to him only, that if we are persecuted, we will know what to do. We'll know what to say, and whatever the cost we may have to pay, he'll be right there with us. We are blessed to be identified with him in this way. That's what Jesus is saying. And the Bible reassures us of this over and over again. Romans 8.18 is one of my favorite verses. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so tonight, I just want to simply conclude this beatitude of blessed are those who are persecuted with this thought that what should concern us most is how devoted we are to Jesus, not what might happen to us because we are. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying. He's not telling you worry about it. He's saying 
get close enough to me, and if it happens, we're going to be all right. We're going to do it together. And so, you know, I don't know what your past feelings have been. You know, if you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you're just terrified of (laughs) every possibility. I mean, that is somber reading to be sure. But I don't think that persecution is limited to that idea because Jesus in verse 12 says, you know, if people say things that are falsely accusing you, they're lying about you, they're, you're being misrepresented, that is persecution. And so I think all of us, if we haven't experienced some type of rejection like that because we are identified with Jesus, we will, especially if we're working our way up this ladder. But I don't know about you, the fact that it's the one that's closest to Jesus helps motivate me to maybe be more open to it and to, and to celebrate it, if you will, like Jesus is saying, blessed are you. If you're close enough to me that the world around you identifies that in you and it makes them uncomfortable, it bothers them. And so let's just pray in closing that God, as we continue to grow, Lord, help us, help us understand what it means Show us in the environments that we're in where maybe we do feel this. Give us the wisdom to respond in a way that pleases him. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your presence that we feel, the comfort of your word. Lord, you tell us things not to make us fearful, but to prepare us and to give us the proper perspective, to give us your perspective. And so, God, I pray for your people. You know the world that we're living in. You know the future and what is to come. And so, God, I pray that you would take away fear and dread and worry out of our hearts because that spirit is not from you. Lord, let us not be focused on what could be, but rather let us walk away just being challenged with our own sense of devotion and commitment to you that should it come to persecution, God, that we would be able to stand for you, that we would be able to represent you well in the earth, that in our fire of persecution, we will see you, we will feel you walking us through those flames. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, not just here, but in the world to come. Go with us and help us live for you completely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.